Hi, and welcome to The Point Being, the Arizona Daily Star's Opinion Page podcast. I'm Sarah Garrett-Gasson, our opinion editor. I'm here with the fine folks of Ward 2 for City Council. Sorry, <laughs> I, I'm always worried I'm going to get the, the number wrong. Ward 2, we've had a lot of folks in here. Um, so let's go around and introduce ourselves, and then we'll give you each about a minute to kind of Say who you are and introduce yourself to our listeners. To my right is Joe Ferguson. Hi, I'm Joe Ferguson. I'm with the Arizona Daily Star. I cover politics and the Tucson City Council. And I'm Edward Salaya. I am the Arizona Daily Star's opinion writer. My name is Paul Cunningham. I'm currently serving Tucson as the Ward 2 City Council person. I'm also a teacher at Ridley Middle School. I am Hugh Williams. I am currently running for the position as a candidate for Ward 2 City Council. All right. And Mr. Williams, you're the Republican candidate. And uh, Mr. Cunningham, you are the Democratic candidate. Yes. yes. Okay. Um, could you talk a bit about, and Mr. Williams, why don't we start with you, about why are you running for this position on the City Council? Well, per, um, my reason for running is um, several different reasons. Um, my first reason is that I've been in Tucson about 24 years, and I've seen a city that has so much potential go absolutely nowhere. Um, my, uh, I, I need to, we need to get the roads done, and we need to improve our schools. Um, those are my main reasons for, uh, for running. Uh, I see that, uh, watched and seen the city waste money and do things that makes no common sense whatsoever. And it's at the taxpayer's expense. It's always at the taxpayer's expense. Okay. Uh, Mr. Cunningham. I'm seeking my third term. I actually think that we've made a lot of progress over the last eight years since I first came into office. Every single major corridor in Ward 2 has actually been treated since I've been in office. And every single park, all four of the major parks we have in Ward 2, have received major capital improvements. All those parks were set up to augment the education programs that we have. I also have a program in place where we expand KIDCO. They can improve, I think will help improve our school district. I actually work for the school system now, uh, the TUSD school system I left in Sunnyside. I think in a lot of cases, our education system uh, with TUSD's reputation, it, it gets kind of the short end of the stick. We have a lot of really great uh, school districts in this city. Flowing Wells, Vail, uh, and Sunnyside all have ac excellent reputations over the last three or four years. Uh, I'd also be happy to point out that in the last eight years, we've created almost 50,000 jobs in Tucson, and we've experienced an economic growth that's reflected in our general fund general fund has grown by about 27% from $417 million to $551 million since I took office. So I'm really proud of the things we've accomplished both citywide and on the east side, and I'd like to continue to serve the people of Tucson. Okay, um, so Mr. Williams, you mentioned that you have, you, you've seen a city that has so much potential but has gone nowhere. Can you explain a little bit more about the specifics of what well, you're talking me, about? Let me explain it this way. Um, 
my common sense, okay, and the common sense of most people I've, I've talked to, says that we put a streetcar system that costs millions of dollars into play. City knowing that it would never make a dime. Now, why do you spend millions of dollars on, a, on an infrastructure such as a streetcar when you know going in that it's not going to make any money? I, 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 I don't see the reason behind it. No matter what you do, as long as it keeps that same route, okay, it's never going to make any money. It should have went down a major thoroughfare where it would have went from one end of the city to the other end of the city which would allow other pedestrians, other people, to actually take use of it. The only way you get used to this is if you go to U of A or you take a, a Uber or a Lyft downtown. I don't understand. The people of Tucson don't understand why that was ever a, a part of what they call the revitalization of downtown. Okay, That did nothing to revitalize downtown. The absolute... Uh, uh, Thing that we see about revolutions downtown, okay, was that businesses that were on the verge of going out of business anyway because they were not receiving enough foot traffic, when they put the streetcar in, they just basically threw up their hands. They really, their foot traffic slowed down, really have, slowed down. Have you been downtown recently? Yes, I have. I, I drive Uber and Lyft. I'm downtown quite often, okay? And the new businesses that came in and took those places, they attracted the customers. They attracted people downtown. That's why people go downtown. You know, now they're going to put up a, uh, a high-rise uh, apartment or whatever on 4th Avenue where Maloney's used to be. And they're going to put another one further up the road on 4th Avenue. Okay, so the nostalgia of 4th Avenue is gone. The people of Tucson are not happy about that. Okay, regardless of what the city council might think, okay, the people of Tucson are not happy about the fact that you're destroying 4th Avenue. Okay, let's give uh, Paul Cunningham a chance to respond. So a few things about downtown. Uh, downtown had, a, I want to say, about a 45% vacancy rate from when they took office. Uh, with, with the economic drivers like the streetcar and the Jeep, we've been able to, uh, I feel, we've been very successful in revitalizing downtown. And what's the Jeep Hut? The Jeep Hut is the government property excise lease tax. What happens is that uh, any, every city in the state of Arizona uses it. We were actually one of the last cities to use it. Uh, when we offer it, uh, a developer can go into that property, improve that property, and as the value goes up, though their property taxes is discounted, the actual amount of cash that the county ends up taking in is higher than what we'd be taking in. Uh, it's actually one of the reasons I think that Downtown has been successful along with the streetcar. What I'd say is, first things first, is that the streetcar was paid for through a Tiger Grant, which is a federal, uh, a federal FTA, Federal Transportation Administration grant. That's how that's funded, along with PAC. It's not funded out of the, uh, the general fund. It was part of a uh, voter-approved transportation grant. So we were going to build it regardless. Number two, what I'd say is, is that the streetcar has actually been pretty successful want mass transit to be successful, you have to have high-density development there. I will say this. I think the historic 4th Avenue Association is absolutely right. I think that if we can't build with the Maloney's project specifically that Mr. Williams brought up, if 
we can't build a high rise at the heart of downtown where the where the where downtown and the railroad tracks meet. Where can we build one? So I I stand by that project. I think it's a good project. The other piece is is the flycatcher. I'm not as excited about that project. I think we probably could have held out for some other things, but when we offered the GPLED, the developers in that project did sign a community benefits agreement in which a significant amount of the GPLED money that, that they, they're going to get is going to go right back into 4th Avenue. And so what do you have to say about the streetcar not making money? That it's the, streetcar, the streetcar that only makes that $800,000 a year. It actually loses money. I think there's two, two routes we can go through. We can talk about there. First of all, on no mass transit in the western west of the Mississippi makes money. So you, your goal is to get 25% fare box. I actually think the strategy that I want to go, that I want to shoot for with the streetcar and make in, in, in improving its money is I'd like to see it uh, be paid for by the University of Arizona. Put $2 million, just collect the full $2 million the university has a blanket light item for and make the streetcar free. I think that would we we take we take in more fare box. The biggest problem we have with the streetcar right now is that we have almost a million and a half riders a year, but we're only collecting eight hundred thousand dollars in fares. So that's kind of our, our disconnect. Nobody's paying, and so that's the biggest problem we're having with the streetcar. But the idea that it's being not being used is a myth. I'll do two other things here. I think that extending BRT down Broadway, building a uh, a parkway slash expressway down golf links. To drive pedestrian traffic through one thoroughfare and, and vehicle traffic to another thoroughfare is actually a better strategy in how we manage traffic in Tucson. I also think adding a streetcar line south towards the casino, the airport in South Tucson would probably make a lot of would, would help get out. The biggest challenge with that, Mr. Williams, in my opinion, is that there's not density along those routes to be able to do that. So I think we have to, it's a slow play. I don't think we can do it all at once. It would cost, you know, north of 270, 280 million dollars, and we're, there's no way I'm going to raise taxes or ask the, the city taxpayers to pay for something like that when we have other priorities. So I, I think the vision is there long term for the streetcar, and in a 20-year plan, we can have one of the most uh, effective and, and sought-after uh, streetcar programs in the Western United States. I think we'd be second only to Salt Lake City, who does the exact same thing. Salt Lake City pays for their streetcar through the church and through the university, and I think that finance model is the best best thing. I want to yield my time and respect everyone. Okay. Well, it sounds like he has a lot of great ideas, and they do make sense to me as far as the corridor um, um, out to the airport with the streetcar is concerned. But I'm not sure about the figures as far as what the streetcar is actually bringing in right now. Because I spend a lot of time downtown. I don't think I've seen a thousand riders on that streetcar in a week. I see five or six streetcars go by completely empty. I see one person on it. It's the same thing with our bus system right now. Um, five, six years ago, our, our transit buses... Um, had passengers. I mean, they had 15, 20 passengers on there basically all the time. Now that the buses, they have one or two. Except for during certain hours, you might see 10, 15 people on there. But it's not standing room only anymore. So there, there's a problem there where we're losing money by, by running these large buses, and we don't have the pedestrian uh, traffic for it. Why not 
Why haven't we decided to, you know what? Why don't we reduce the size of the bus? I don't so, is that even possible? Well, I mean, it I is know, possible. But I don't know if buses it's, come in more so than one size. The, the, the problem is, is that if giving up the rolling stock, so turning over that rolling stock for each bus we sell, we buy a new bus, we'd actually lose money on each bus we sold because we're buying a brand new smaller bus and getting rid of a larger bus. And then we're also losing passenger capacity. It's about the total capacity of the bus per hour. So we have to be able to take them at the large hours and the, the small hours. I mean, I, we can't go and have a bus driver mid-shift give up the, the big bus for a smaller bus. I'll say this, though. The bus has suffered since the strike. When we had the strike four years ago, we really and, and we raised fares basically in the same year. We've never fully recovered. But the, the investment into SunTran out of the general fund has stayed flat. We're not making that sacrifice anymore. We're not incrementally uh, increasing that sacrifice every year. The, the, the reason that the transit investment goes up is mostly due to Sunban, and I'm no, I have no problem continuing to pay Sunban, though Ethan Orr and I did work on a program in which we could collaborate with the state and receive some of the state monies for some of our Sunban clientele. Explain Sunban. Sunban is a program that's set specifically to uh, people with disabilities, uh, loss of limb, loss of sight, loss of hearing, and um, elderly and infirm. And that's who it serves. They're one of the most vulnerable pieces of population, and it's a door-to-door service. It is, it is also about 50% federally funded, though it's a match. So the other $13.5 million has to come out of the general fund. And I have no problem paying for that. It's how uh, people who are blind, people who are deaf, get around the city safely. And I... I I'm not going to withdraw my vote or withdraw the funding for that program. But I think that when we when we lost all that 4 million riders, we went down to 15 million board, uh, boardings a year, which is about 20,000 round trip a day. 43,000 boardings a day is where we're at, right? Total boardings. And that's on a round trip, that's two people. So that, that is way down. That's about a third, well, a quarter, 20% of what our ridership was. I think the only way we're going to get them back is counterintuitive to what a lot of people are talking about. One of the things I have an issue with is that we have six stops within one mile. By federal standards, we only have to have at any point you need to be at least a quarter mile from a stop. So you can actually have them a half a mile apart. In certain miles and stretches, we have six and seven stops. That is a lot of stops. It's almost a mile every 600 feet. A significant amount of stops and in high density it makes sense but in some of the larger and spread out areas in Ward 2 we don't necessarily have to have seven stops I think uh, that's one of the issues that we're having with people having a two and three hour commute on the bus uh, when cities go through these growing pains and they get bigger like LA did in the 80s and 90s you did have those two and three hour bus times I think we can improve it but I think it's a, a holistic conversation about traffic patterns about uh, streets as a whole and about transit. Okay. Um, so in the primary, you run um, ward only in Tucson, but in the general, you you know, the entire city will be casting votes. Um, I'm wondering specifically to ward two, what is something that is specific to the ward that a challenge or something that might be seen a little differently or show up a little differently in the rest of the city that you would focus on in in your time as a councilman 
And Paul, would you like to go first? Right now, Ward 2 is in a unique situation. We have a lot of seniors, but the other thing we have is we have a lot of 1960s and 70s housing stock. These are houses that are built with slump block or brick. They're built on quarter to third acre lots, which is a realtor's dream actually in Tucson right now. And the crazy thing is they're not as competitive. And part of I think that is, is that it's not necessarily true, but it's the reputation of the school district. I'd like to see us uh, help augment and help make the public schools in the Ward 2 area more competitive. I think I'm, I'm on the ground floor doing that right now. That's part of the reason I moved to Gridley Middle School this year. I think that if we can do that, we'll see kind of that housing stock uh, fill up. I mean, Ward 2 is kind of unique. Uh, a couple quarters last year, we had a lower crime rate or inferred or competitive crime rate to like Oro Valley. We, we just, we're, we're in a good spot uh, as far as demographics, as far as as far as households, as, as far as a number of different things, we have a we have a, we have a, we have a nice setup, but we we're just not over the hump. And I think one of the reasons is is because we're not as competitive in the education component. So a quick question before we go to Mr. Williams with with that, um, what can so you're saying if I understand you right that the reputation of Tucson Unified School District is what's kind of keeping people from buying homes. Yeah, and, it, and it's, not necessarily, it's not necessarily fair because there's a bunch of great elementary schools and there's a bunch of great high schools in, in Ward 2. Right. The biggest issue is we're having this, this contraction in the middle school level for TUSD. So what, is, what can the city council do about that? What is, well, we can partner with them in capital projects where, uh, where schools and parks are adjacent to each other. We can also make Kidco Universal on the east side so people are uh, encouraged to try elementary school from the start. We can also uh, collaborate in programs where we have uh, City of Tucson um, uh, police and fire and, and well, all employees visit schools for career days. We Only can, on the east side in Ward 2 or do you think that should we, be we should do it citywide. City. We should absolutely do it citywide but as, as the council person working for both entities on the ground floor, I can do the okay. pilots and work. All right. Mr. Williams, what do, you, what do you think? What is the issue that shows up in Ward 2? Well, I've been in Ward 2 about six, seven years. And I've been door to door. And I've been to door to door um, when I had to get my um, position signed. And the problem that the people of War II see, um, other than schools, like you mentioned, is the homeless problem. They said they are seeing more and more homeless people down in the washes behind their homes. And they feel that is something that uh, is a big problem. Um, they also feel that the uh, need of more police officers on the street in War II, um, which is very, they're, they're correct. There are very few police officers in War Two. Now, I'm not saying there's very few that don't live in War Two. I'm just saying when it comes to um, doing their daily routine, there's not a lot of police um, in sight, especially during the uh, the evening hours. Okay. Okay. Um, you mean like on patrol? On patrols, right? Correct. 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 Um. I just want, had one question for um, Paul. Can I ask sure. one question? Can you explain uh, Kidco to me a little bit? Okay. 
So there's a few there's a few things. Number one, um, let's talk about Team Four really quick. Team Four has actually added people on patrol. We have. Well, let's let's. All right, sorry. Talk about the, the I want to make sure that we know Team Four is the East Side Patrol. We've added 19 people to the briefing. We have seven more CSOs on the program that I started. Um, I'm actually. Kidco is set up with, um, Kidco is an after-school program in which we subsidized partially a recreation program for after-school hours so that kids and parents are not jammed up by the cost of after-school care. Right? Uh, right now, that can cost a working family up to $80 and $90 a week. Um, that is a substantial amount when you're talking about two kids. And so families struggle to figure out how to make that work when they're both working, when, when both members of the household are working. Uh, Kidco kind of fills that gap, but it's not a universal program. If we, the money actually pencils out in our current funding levels with a little bit of, of tweaks where we can probably serve about 50 schools community-wide. So that's what Kidco is. Right okay. now we only serve about 26 schools or 28 schools, I can't remember, and not a, only two of them are on the east side. So that's Kidco. Is, is Kidco covered under the city charter? Is that program not covered? Well, it's part the of the uh, it's part of the Parks and Rec program, so it, it's hard to infer what's in the city charter. I mean, it's part of a part. It's a, so Parks and Recreation mean, is in the city charter, so okay. So that, that's what you mean by tweaking it a little bit. No, because I mean tweaking the part costs. Too. I want the cost to be. I want the cost to be. And it's Kidco's been in existence for a long time. Yeah, Kidco's been in existence for I want to say about forty years as well. Yeah. And that funding comes from general fund. From the general fund. Okay. Um, so Edward, do you have a question? Yeah. Kind of in that same vein, uh, focusing on how Tucson has that unique election system. How will you ensure to both voters at the ward and then at the city level? that you have their best interests at heart. And we'll start with Stuart. Well, I, I, I don't believe this, this the, the, the current situation of, of ward only is what I would like it to be. Okay. Which means that if, if, if I have to go in my ward to get signatures to get on the ballot, then the only people that should be able to vote for me are people in my ward. The way Tucson has, and I think Tucson is probably the only city left in the state of Arizona that does this, okay, is that we say you need to get signatures out of your ward, but everybody in the whole city gets to vote on you, whether they know you're not, okay, the whole city gets to vote on you. I don't think that makes any common sense. Now, if you can get signatures throughout the whole city, then yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. But if you restrict a person to only getting uh, uh, signatures out of their ward to get on the ballot, but then you open it up with the general election to the whole city to vote to determine whether you get in or not. That doesn't seem like that makes too much sense to me. And like I said, I'm a person of common sense and voice of reason, okay? Paul, on the other hand, he has a lot of facts and statistics that he can shoot out there, which I respect because he's been in the city council for 10 or 14 years, okay? He knows the inside scoop of what's going on, okay? He knows things that most people aren't even privy to, okay? So I can't compete with him in that aspect, okay? What I am saying that I am bringing to the table is common sense, okay, and the voice of reason. If it's not going to benefit the people of Tucson, 
then it shouldn't be done. If there's no return on investments, then it shouldn't be done. If it's against the city charter, then it shouldn't be done, unless the city charter gets changed. Now, if, if something is going on and um, it's against the city charter, then it needs to stop. If yeah. funds are being exploited, uh, being going somewhere where they're not supposed to be, they're not covered under the city charter, it needs to stop. If those funds are going to continue to go there, okay, then we as a city council needs to change the city charter. So, given that you're not going to be able to, I mean, no person on the city council could just change the election system, is there anything else you'd like to add about how you would balance representing Ward 2 with the rest of the city? I'm wrong. Okay, I am a person of the people, all people, in every ward, okay? My decisions, what I base my decisions on, will affect a whole city, not just by ward. Okay, we need to unite the city instead of dividing the city. What's good for my ward should be good for all the wards. Okay, I'm going to try, okay, one elected, to make sure that the things that the people have talked to me about in War Two come to bear. They want their roads fixed. I think probably 75 or about 70% of the bad roads are actually in War Two. They want their roads fixed. They want their schools fixed. They really don't want their teachers paying for supplies that is the responsibility of the state. Right. Okay. Uh, Mr. Cunningham. Uh, I don't even, let me start with that. Can we go back to that question? Sure. We're talking about balancing the ward. I think it's a really challenging piece um, because ultimately when, it, when, we, when I first started in office, the biggest thing that we ran into, our biggest challenge at the time was we were under an $84 million budget deficit. And we were kind of in emergency mode on how to build jobs and build the economy. Didn't really matter which ward you I think it's really important to understand that, counterintuitive to what a lot of people say, the hybrid system is actually makes a harder working public servant. Uh, the hybrid system forces the council person, whoever it is, to balance their ward and the city decisions. So you're not just in this parochial system. Um, I can agree that it might work better in that the primaries are citywide and the general. I could also say it would that the status quo could change for nonpartisan elections. But in any event, this is what the the city charter has laid out as our election system. And the only people who can change it are the voters. So that is what the city charter says, and that's the election system we have. Um, as far as um, balancing, it's a fine line. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, one city, one team is what cuts it. But uh, we have to, uh, every single time you're thinking about, okay, where are we going to put a new soccer field? Or where are we going to do a stretch of road? You're thinking also about holistically what the data says. So whether or not that's a high impact area for driving, whether or not that's a high impact area for 
uh, park traffic, things of that nature. I can say this uh, on two things that were brought up so far. One is on homeless. Uh, we have actually an, almost enough bed spaces for the number of street homeless people we have every year. It, it, it's pretty close. We can, we can. Are you saying citywide? Citywide, we have a significant number of bed spaces. It's a matter of getting people placed and having them stay in placement, which has been a big, a much bigger challenge. As a city council, we've adopted three different homeless programs, and I can tell you, uh, from just a call load, uh, we are very proactive in Ward Two in initiating a very humanitarian-oriented homeless protocol and moving homeless people. Uh, to an appropriate spot uh, as proactively as possible. The other thing I can say uh, as far as the failing roads is that we had about 80% failing corridor roads in 2011 and 12, and now we have about 20% failing corridor roads. We have, we had, we are now at about 70% failing roads in residential districts. I think that's our bigger challenge. We have a very specific plan Tucson. We've also initiated two programs. One, the Municipal Investment District that my office proposed. And the other is the new chip ceiling, uh, excuse me, the new fog ceiling program that my office is proposing. I think that we'll get there. Finally, when we talk about force readiness for the police officers, we set up the Community Service Officer Program with the blessing of TPOA. It'll represent about 10% of our force readiness. I think by the end of 2020, it's my goal to have 1,000 uniforms, 900 and a t 910, 911 commissioned, and 91 community service officers responding to calls by December of next year. I think that'll definitely help with our coverage. So I'd like to ask a, a question just to help uh, listeners get a sense of who you both are as people. Um, and could you talk about, I don't know, um, like, what are three places we might be able to to find you? Where do you, I mean, what do you, day to day, what is, what do you do in Tucson and where could we find you? You can find me at the splash pad at Palaberry Park. I have a three-year-old son. A lot of time, on 21 nights a year, probably more like 31 nights a year, thanks to Coach Barnes taking over the women's team, you can probably find me at McHale Center. Um, my avid University of Arizona basketball coach now. And finally, you can find me at Pinnacle Peak or Golf and Stuff. It's right in my wards down the street. It's kind of like an epicenter for kids and kids' activities. Uh, and that's kind of meeting people where they are. And you'll find me on those places. And once in a while, you might even find me on the lift riding my bike. Cool. Mr. Williams. Well, for me, it's um, more like I'm going to find you. <laughs> <laughs> I drive Uber and Lyft. I do that probably about... 12, 13 hours a day. I put a lot of miles on. I cover a lot of parts of Tucson. Um, some customers have had three or four times. Um, that's where you'll find me right now. Um, when elected, you'll find me in an office. <laughs> you'll find me on the road, checking out different things in my ward and things that are citywide. Whatever issues are uh, comes up, I'll be out there checking it out, and it will not be a four-hour day for me. It will be an eight- or ten-hour day for me. I know this is a part-time city council. You can't run a city this size part-time. They have tried. They have tried, and they have tried. Okay? And Father Mr. 
they've done a, a, a decent job, I guess I could say. They've done a, a decent job. But they haven't done the job that could be done if they were working full-time. Could you tell me a bit about the the moment you decided to either to run or to run for re-election? What was that? I'm always curious about what kind of flips the switch for a person to say, I'm going to do it and then get the signatures and, and go forward. Can you tell us about that, Mr. Williams? I think what really flipped my switch was the fact that in the conversations I had with a lot of people, before I even, started, tried, uh, before I even thought about running for an office, um, they were always dismayed. They loved Tucson, but they were always dismayed about what they saw going on in Tucson. And I'm saying to myself, okay, so at the time I had a business running and um, basically it was work home, work home, work home, you know, except when I went out and played darts, you know, once a week um, or twice a week. Um, and people would, we just have these discussions and I'm saying like, well, you know, Tucson's a fine city as far as I'm concerned. I've been here, you know, a long time now, you know. And um, I do see things that I don't think were properly done. I think for a city that has no natural disasters, a city that always wanted to stay small, they've done a good job of it, you know. But it backfired on them, basically. For a city that wanted to stay small, how do you make a city stay small? You don't invest in your infrastructure. You don't invest in your schools, and you make it hard for businesses to come and stay. And that's what Tucson did. Tucson did that for decades. I've heard that from people who've been here four or five generations. This was the model of Tucson, to stay small. But it backfired. People kept coming to Tucson. They found nice people here, a low cost of living, and no natural disaster. What more could somebody ask for? Better, better jobs, better roads. And that's what they ask. That's for better roads. That's for better jobs. You won't get the better jobs unless you fix the roads and the schools. That is essential. Either that, or if an employer comes here, you're going to give away the farming incentives to get them here. So, so again, that's the whole point. If you want to fix all the roads, you've got to have a plan. You've got to be able to pay for it. You've got to be able to identify funding sources to do that. If you want to build the economy and grow, then you have to be able to build surplus job businesses here. If you want to be able to fix the schools, then you have to be able to have a plan, have a plan for collaboration to do those things. And I, I get that it's... I, here's the crazy thing. I agree with almost everything you said. In other words... Yes, we want to fix the roads. And yes, we want to fix the schools. And yes, we want to improve business. And yes, we want to improve infrastructure. Everybody wants to do that. The real question is how you can do that and how you can do that within the resources that we have for the city. We've tried to be nimble. We've tried to be inventive and innovative in the last seven to eight years in finding different ways to attract businesses, uh, maximize our financial resources, we passed two different voter initiatives to improve schools, recreation, and infrastructure, and, and public safety. And uh, I can tell, and now that I'm, I'm going on to this third term, 
what made me want to do it. Because I'm not done yet. There's three more things I want to beat. There's three or four more things I want to beat. Uh, this Universal Kid Co. program, I think, is a conversation worth having. I think another conversation that's worth having that's actually a better economic driver is taking a look at some of the cities that are allowing parents to purchase uh, health insurance through the city's insurance plan for, for their children, which is what some cities are doing. I think that's a conversation that Tucson that's worth having. Finally, I've talked about it. Uh, Mr. Ferguson has actually been in the uh, study session when we talked about it. I'd like to bridge the east to west from a traffic standpoint. I think we can do that along golf links and augmenting the, the traffic pattern along golf links with some, some modern and innovative infrastructure upgrades. And I think there's funding to do it. And so those are the, the, those are the goals that we have. And when you start setting up those goals and you, you're evaluating your time in office, you're thinking to yourself, I didn't get this done, I didn't Part of it was was that again in the first three four years of office we were and we were coming out of a recession and we were playing catch up we were just playing catch up but I'm really proud of where this city is right now and we've got to continue this momentum. Great, well we're almost at the, the end of our, our time. Did Joe? Did you have any questions? I have a question. Okay. So we've talked about roads, gentlemen. I want to get a sense of this. The budget. Generally speaking, for the city of Tucson, is approximately $500 million annually in terms of the general fund. The stated need for roads after spending $200 million on it in the last eight years is approximately $700 million. How much of the roads are we really going to fix in the next 10 years if we elect either one of you? A dollar amount would be probably helpful in this case. I think the goal is to spend another $400 million uh, in renewed bond packages in two five-year periods over the next 10 years. But the more important piece is trying to find the last $15 million for residential pavement preservation. I think we can get into a situation where we're fog sailing every single residential street every five years. And that's really the challenge, is ongoing the ongoing $15 million piece. I can't give you dollars and cents because I'm not sure what exactly you talks for my Somebody told me it takes about a million dollars per mile. I'm not sure if that's a true statement or not. Depends on whether or not it's a corridor or it's a residential street or it's a collective street. Okay. So given all those facts, I would say roughly about seven or eight years, all the roads in Tucson could be done if we get another asphalt company in here. See, the roads out here take considerably longer time to do, more than any other city I've ever been in. I've seen California do freeways in less time than it takes us to do a major corridor. Okay. Now, I don't know if it's because of the financing. Maybe they haven't bought out all the stores, like the widening of Grant, which took two years. And six months to seven months, so that was two years. Nobody worked on that road. It's sacked. To me, that draws flags. Okay, I was a contractor. I know a contractor's job is to get a bid, get in, do the work, and get out. We don't want to sit there and babysit it. We want to make the money and get out. So why are all our roads that we start here get started, cones go up, and then they sit for three or four months? Now, that's been something that's been puzzling a lot of people, including me, sitting down in construction. 
That puzzles me. Why is the road sitting like this for three or four months with nobody work, working on it? That's not how roads are done. You got cracks in the middle of your road after about a year or two? That's because the road wasn't poured right. You, you get a, a road cold contractor? Huh? Were you a road contractor? No, I wasn't a road contractor, but, but, but pavement and asphalt is just like plaster. Okay? You get cold joints. So when you do a strip of road, okay, and then you wait another day to come back and do the other side of the road, you got a cold joint there. It doesn't mesh together properly. So once it starts opening up, the water gets underneath the uh, asphalt. It gets into the base, and then you start getting this effect from the water. It starts cracking. So I have a problem with that. I have a serious problem with that. I don't think roads should take as long as they, they, they do. I did see them do one set of roads going up to Star Pass, which I think they did in like six weeks, seven weeks. I was amazed. Whoever the contractor was who did it, they went from 22nd Street over to Star Pass. Okay. Um, so we are pretty much out of time. So I wanted to give you each a minute to just sort of sum up and uh, make a, a quick closing statement. So let me get my... Um, so, Paul, why don't you go first? I'm really happy with what we've accomplished citywide, but also in Ward 2. I just don't think the job's over. We have some challenges in Ward 2 that I think we can, we can tackle over the next four years. And I'd like to, be the, I'd like to, to, to lead our neighborhood to do them. I'm a lifelong resident of Ward 2. I, I love my city more than anything, and I've been honored to serve. I'm really proud of, of where we've gone. We, like I said, we have augmented every single uh, major park and road, major corridor in Ward 2 since I've taken office. We've managed to uh, finish a few neighborhoods and roads, too. Moreover, I'm endorsed by the, the Tucson Police Officers Association, uh, the Firefighters Association. I'm endorsed by the Ch Tucson Metro Chamber of Commerce. I'm endorsed by the Sierra Club. I'm endorsed by Pima Area Labor Federation. I'm endorsed pretty much across the board consensus. Okay. Thank you very much. Mr. Williams, your closing statement. My closing statement. Tucson is a city that I've come to love. I wasn't born here. I wasn't raised here. But I have a deep respect for what the feelings of the people of Tucson I don't have all these endorsements, okay? I am not a Democrat. I'm a Republican. I'm not going to get these endorsements. I already know that, okay? I am not blinded by Tucson, two to one Democrat. I understand what's going on here. Okay? To me, this is not a political game, okay? This is about the people of Tucson. This is about we the people, okay? So endorsements mean very little to me right now. I will do what I can do with the help of the people of Tucson, with the help of the people that are already in the city council, to achieve the number one goal, unity, taking care of our roads and our residential roads. It's, it's great to take care of the major thoroughfares. That's great, okay? 
But the people on the residential street pay taxes too. They want their streets done. All right. Thank you very much, both of you, for, for coming in and spending some time with us today. We Thank you very much. It. Thank you.